You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Lissy Plappinger, a.k.a. LPX. It really brings me great joy to bring you this episode. This marks Lizzie's second time on the podcast. Somehow in the middle of running Neon Gold, writing new music, and touring for LPX, she found the time to sit with me and do a deep dive into her latest EP, Junk of the Heart. This is easily the most in-depth talk you'll hear in regards to this project because we spend nearly an hour going to the stories behind each track, a true track by track. It meant a lot of getting to catch up with Lizzie as well. And uh, we had one of those talks that just reminded me uh, just how beautiful, you know, just how beautifully joyful and colorful life can be. Lizzie's one of those people that only knows how to spread positivity into a room. Trust me when I say that you're going to love her. This is the 405 Exchange with LPX. Enjoy. So it's great to be sat here with you again. Uh, you released a new EP recently called Junk of the Heart. And hello, Lizzie. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm so, I was just saying I'm so happy to yeah. see you again. And I love that we have this sort of history of conversations. And I hope that in time there are Many. thousands and thousands <laughs> of them. Yeah. You know, I, it was brought up the last time we talked. But uh, something that's really cool of just how New York is, it's like if you work in music and hang around musicians, you just have this thing of always bumping into them. And I remember like when Miss Mister would do so many shows. Yeah. Even if I didn't try to go to your show, I'd You didn't have always done that. <laughs> but I would enjoy myself. I love that. I love that. And similarly with LPX now. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I've got this show coming up with um, Kitten. We're doing this co-headline show at the end of the month, June yeah. 25th. That's such a fitting bill. Oh my God. Uh, Chloe's a friend also and I love her to bits. I'm so excited about it. You know, Chloe's been, she's really one of my favorite people in music. I think she's truly one of the best performers, period. One of my favorite front front performers. Amazing vocalist. And it's nice because it's, you know, it's really hard being a DIY independent artist. And I think like one of the greatest joys of doing LPX has been leaning into that community. Yeah. And there's such a system and network of support. So you know, for me to be able to lean into conversations with Kitten or Sizzy Rocket or Ali X or Celine or Charlene or Savoir Door, just to have this community of support is so amazing. So yeah. for Kit and I to be banding together and doing this co-headline show is like, it's so perfect because obviously our music is totally aligned and we're both super high energy performers. Yeah. Um, but it's like such a dream bill. And we have like a few like, special appearances, guests coming out, like oh, we're sort of like in the family. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's like my dream bill. I sort of hope that like maybe this will be like the taste that what's our whistle to like get on the road and maybe like tour together. Cause I, I feel like it would make so much sense with the music and the kind of show we put on and yeah. probably our fan bases. I definitely agree with that. And something I love about everything you just said is uh, like I've been here since 08. I yeah. distinctly remember a time in New York when that kind of cross-pollination didn't exist, where it was so much of like, we're competing overtly. Totally. So it's so nice to just see, like, that's not happening as much anymore. People actually want to work together. I think it's, you know, there's such a great, there's been such a mass exodus basically to Los Angeles. Yes. And so I think one of the positives of that happening is I think anyone who's in New York, it's such a choice to be in this city. So, 
if you're here, you really want to be here. And everyone's just trying to like make it work for one another. And so it's great to be able to talk to someone like Ariana and the Rose or Sir Baby Girl or Maud Latour um, and really feel like we're all rooted here. Um, I think like the Olive branch extends to LA, obviously, since like there's such a thriving independent and, and great music scene out there. Yeah. Um, but it does sort of like overemphasize like the all hands on deck New York feeling. Yeah. And I and I I love that. Like I think everyone's here to sort of like help each other out, and that feels really good. Yeah, that's amazing. So, like I mentioned, uh, you recently released a new EP called Junk of the Heart. Yes, I did. And one of the big things we're going to be doing in this talk is we're going to be going into each song. I mean, there's four songs, so I felt it made sense. That yeah, I would love to do that. Just kind of go like on a track by track. Before we do that, though, I'd love to know when did you start working on these songs? I started working on these songs. Uh, pretty much like um, I think I was in the studio the same week that um, Bolt in the Blue came out oh, so wow. I'm very much like my whole ethos with this project and, and really I guess like even artists I'm working with at Neon Gold it's very much like one foot in front of the other just keep like the cycle moving yeah. so if I'm not on tour I want to be recording if I'm not recording I want to be on tour I want to always have material in my back pocket so even when Drunk of the Heart came out, again, same week, I'm already writing and recording and working on music for the third EP. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to always sort of be 10 steps ahead and think about what's coming. And it's nice to have the flexibility as an independent artist to sort of grow in real time with an audience since, you know, I really think Drunk of the Heart has like a very different feel um, than Bolt in the Blue. And it's nice to sort of, I don't know, be able to lean into these different references and sides of myself as I'm sort of discovering who I am as an independent artist and pulling together from so many different corners of different music that I like within alternative as like one big genre. Um, it's exciting. So I've always, I've always really imagined from the get-go that I would do these three EPs and they'd all sort of be different islands of, of my references and loves. So, you know, the first EP is super aggressive, high octane, really angular, really leaning into sort of like Karen O, PJ Harvey, Susie Sue and the Banshees, Shirley Manson, just like, I think of it as like very prickly and like early 2000s, like alt rock, yeah, 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 as vibes. And then the second EP is a lot more, I, to me, the second EP feels like the soundtrack to a modern John Hughes soundtrack. If John Hughes was making a movie in 2019, like LPX, Junk of the Heart would be the soundtrack. And so for me, it was about pulling on different resources, or references like um, New Order, U2, Joshua Tree, War on Drugs. Um, and it was fun sort of being able to weave in atmosphere and sense in a way I sort of actively avoided on the first EP. And I'm already thinking about the 30p, and the 30p is going to be a lot more like LCD, alt, electro, but still like very rock and alternative. And then I imagine I'll put out an album that sort of blends and brings those three worlds together, and it'll be a mix of songs from all three EPs, and then songs that sort of fill in the gaps between these three different islands. Uh, um, that's a sick plan. Yeah, I, you know, for me it's nice as an artist to, to you know just sort of like plot these game points and then it gives me at least like some sort of mode of criteria to sort of experiment around. Yeah. Keeps me focused, otherwise it's just like everything but the kitchen sink in the studio. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool having you do that in this type of forum because in a lot of ways, it's a, both a combination of speaking it into existence and totally. it on like public records so people can hold you to Totally, it. and I think so much about this project is like 
wearing that plan on my sleeve because it holds me accountable. And you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying that. Like so much about being LPX was like holding my own hand over the fire, making sure that I'm doing it. And it's one thing to talk about it and it's one thing to get up every day and do it. And it is both the process of doing it and talking about it so that I keep myself in check. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's so sick. And, you know, just going into this EP, the second EP you released, um, going into the overall vibe about yeah. it, it is very true what you're talking about because I feel like what I gathered from listening to it is that there's a bit of a cleaner vibe here sonically. Uh, there's a contrast. to the, It's a very big contrast to the first EP, and you kind of eloquently put it there. But I wonder, did it surprise you how the sound of the songs of Junk of the Heart sounded? Like, of, of course you had an idea of what you wanted them to be, but did it leave you surprised the vibe of these songs? Um, I just didn't know how it was going to translate sort of in the wake of Bolt in the Blue because obviously I felt with Bolt in the Blue I needed to come out sort of like guns blazing, pussy swinging, like laying down the law, like this is a different beast as you've like heard me before. And so there was something I think maybe like internally I was a little anxious about because, you know, this is like another, I don't think it's a different step, it's sort of a step sideways. And I think once all of the music out, like all the pieces make sense, you know, it's, it's one big painting and I'm slowly sort of like filling in all the colors for an audience. Yeah. Um, might not make it home feels like a very natural transition, I think between Bolt in the Blue and Junk of the Heart, because I think that's sort of like the great crossover between the two moods and world, you know, it's still like very anthem- anthemic and, and rah, 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 but it is a little bit cleaner. You know, it, it's, Junk of the Heart, there's really, there's less distortion. My, my vocal is, is a lot cleaner. Um, and I think, like I said, like atmosphere. It was a nice learning lesson with Junk of the Heart to get comfortable and sort of relearn how to put these electronic touches on things and still make it feel LPX versus Miss Mister because I'm always trying to be really respectful of this being a different project and also how I'm continuing to challenge myself and grow as an artist in my own right. Um, and give up the ghost, you know, might not make it up and give up the ghost were, were written very early in the process. So they, I think, were sort of like the two marks on the, on the whole spectrum of, I guess, the two feels of the record. And I really feel like black and white and falling to fall fill in the gaps again. Um, and give up the ghost, you know, is such an interesting song because it really, when, when I wrote it, you know, the really long extended intro of like this deep synth bass. Um, I pretty much wrote the whole thing. I mean, I wrote the whole song in like 15 minutes. It was one of those like crazy situations where I heard those chords and I went into the vocal booth and it sort of spilled out of me. And really like at the take, I was crying. And, and most of the vocals that you hear like were pretty much like first take me sort of like feeling it out. Um, but I wrote the song really as like, sort of a synth-based ballad. Um, and I was working with this guy, Guy Connolly, who also did um, Red Queen and Fog and the Fear on the first record. Yeah. So it's nice to have that sort of connection between the two worlds. And I had been listening so much to the new War and Drugs record. And I had been talking about, you know, just that perfect feel of, like, just brightness and air and, and levity and euphoria and sort of like walking away from the darkness and I had I left him with the song and the next time that he sent it to me it was him that like brought in the drum beat halfway and then it becomes basically this like 
there's like a whole second chapter to that song within the same song. And I love that. That's such like a typical like Arcade Fire move. And I live for that. You always get sort of like two for one with an Arcade Fire song. And it's like one of my favorite things about, you know, the funeral record. Um, and I love that Give It the Ghost really like merges those two identities. And that song is such like a personal anthem. I think like I continue to go back to that song for sort of like uh, self-drive and, and inspiration. And it was nice to, I think show this other size to my vocal again yeah you know Give the Ghost definitely has that vibe we're gonna go back to that song because now I want to kind of go from start to finish yeah. the songs uh, I definitely still have more to ask about Give Up the Ghost but starting off with uh, Black and White Ten, two, three, one foot out but I can't leave it's no such a statement in ah, thank you it's like, like and like going I feel like it does a good job at retaining the brashness of what you did on the first LPXAP but it has like a much more sleeker vibe to it thank and you I really do love especially how the drum is carrying the song uh, can you tell me what it was like to bring this one to life I love Black and I mean I love that song for so many reasons I think that song is so fun because for me it's like I love drama and music I just like things that feel larger than life and cinematic like those are the things that sort of you know soundtrack your most mundane moments and make them feel larger than life and that's how I feel when I listen to music it's how I feel living in New York City I'm a very sort of practical pragmatic non-dramatic person in terms of like my day-to-day like yeah. my lifestyle and so I get to lean in and be so extra and, and like over the top of the music and I feel like black and white hits all those marks for me. Like I wanted to do something that felt very over the top, queen, arcade fire, larger than life, and overemphasize like the, the grandiose, you know, sort of bigger than life anthemic chorus was sort of how like throwaway and casual like the verses are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love that extended intro. That's like so indulgent. Yeah, I love it, but I love that it like sets the scene. I feel like it like brings you into the movie that is the EP. I totally love yeah. Um, and yeah, I wrote that song with Oscar Sikow and this this woman called Michelle Buzz, and we had so much fun writing that song. And we basically were just all three sitting together, and I was like, you know, just imagine, imagine I'm headlining the festival. <laughs> and you know, we're like we're like seventy five percent through through the show. And you're standing with all your best friends. And like, what is like the feeling and, and the vibe that you want to be communicating in that moment? So for me, like that chorus is just like bright light, bright light, bright light, fists in the air, like you and all of your friends singing along. It's like, yeah, such an anthem to me. Um, and I think does the nice cross section of, brings in the brashness, like you said, of the first EP, but sort of introduces you to this new sort of more 80s, modern, new wave touch that the rest of the EP sort of has to offer. Yeah, it like definitely does a good job of introducing that this is a totally new world. Yes, uh, I hope so. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, the next one is Might Not Make It Home. Might not make it home. 
Hughes' EP is like a modern day John Hughes. John Hughes movie soundtrack. A hundo percent. I love John Hughes, so that like definitely spoke to me. And I, I, feel like I keep joking that. I mean, <laughs> basically, this is this sound, this is so silly and this sounds so specific. I love silliness. And but specificness. you know, I'm I'm a thirty year old navigating love and being single in the city for the first time in my life, having mostly been in a relationship for most of my 20s. Yes. And so for me, I imagine John Hughes directing a 2019 version of Sex in the City, but it's starring like Debbie Harry in her prime, yeah. uh, Parker Posey from Party Girl, uh, Shirley Manson, and like Joan Jett or something, okay. you know? And this is the soundtrack of them like figuring it out and it's all those composites together. Uh, and Might Not Make It Home is just, for me, the ultimate, ultimate love song to New York City. Like my favorite line, in the, my favorite line in the whole song is skipping between the trash and the streets. <laughs> yeah. And as we were writing the song, you know, I had this vision that like I'd be running down the streets at sunset, like Pied Pipering, like as rats are dancing behind <laughs> me. And I wanted like a whole highway like lined with golden trash bags that burst into confetti like like the most silly dreamy Pollyanna rose-colored glasses version of like the gross dirty city that like New York <laughs> is but I, but I so I glamorize it and romanticize it so we much and I was in uh, Nicaragua with a bunch of friends for like the Neon Gold writing camp and you know I had been coming out of writing for Bolt in the Blue and I have a tendency when writing to immediately go to sort of like the dark and the dramatic and, and the edgy because I don't often wear that stuff on my sleeve um, in my day to day. And I was saying to uh, Tommy and Carolyn and Phoebe, who I was in the room with, I was like, I am such a joyous person and I don't really have the song that sort of captures like the larger than life euphoria. I generally feel both when I'm on stage and when I'm in New York City and my favorite time to be in the city is like you've had a big night that sort of came out of nowhere yeah and that walk home from the last bar you never even envisioned yourself going to at like seven when you went for that one cheeky drink with a friend and then all of a sudden you've had the most wild night of your life yeah. and then you're walking home from like you know 4.30 to 6 in the morning and like just taking the long way home and listening to music like I think that is like one of the best reasons and feelings that exists and it's so specific it is. to New York. It is. Something I like to tell people that makes New York different is that like you could feel all the stresses in the world and feel like super lonely here. But one of the greatest things at all the different cities I've been to in America and Europe, New York's the only place I feel like you could have a night out by yourself and by the end of the night have like new best friends for us. A hundred percent. So for me that song was it was just my task to sort of capture that. And, and I feel like we did and it felt so good and like such a huge artistic breakthrough for me to figure out this sweet spot of, of how I can be joyful without being saccharine and do it in a way that feels really specific to me. And really that song like wrote itself, it was just writing sort of the dream perfect night that you don't anticipate and expect to have in New York. It becomes one of the best nights of your life living in New York. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, like Tommy English producing, and, and he did um, High Horse with Casey Musgraves, and he did a lot of stuff with Bournes, and we love working together. We've worked together for so long. 
And this song is like the perfect combination of both of our two tastes. Yeah, yeah. Like it feels so like specific to, to both of our vibe. Um, and it's amazing live because I think it's such an easy chorus to like tack onto. Like the sentiment is so pure wherever you are to have such a good night that like we might not make it home and like who cares because like that would be like the greatest gift ever. Yeah, yeah. So being able to play that song live when I did the Australia tour and on the Mo tour was, I think some of my favorite moments of being in this project like to date is just so infectious. And I love that that song is being played all over the world and it's my little love note to the city and it's just like New York is just working its way into everyone's eardrums wherever they are globally. I love it. Yeah, one of the big things I wanted to ask specifically about this song is I feel like, and you know, with everything you just said, this kind of tacks on to this question. Yeah. I feel like this song is a great encapsulation for a lot of us who are familiar with you, how much your singing has evolved over the years. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, that's always the hope, but I feel like it's so cool when there's like a specific song you could call to and be like, wow, I remember like Miss Mr. Demos. Yeah. And having being able to contrast over here. So with my question in regards to the song, like, does it feel like the way you approach singing was particularly different at all in this song? Like the way you approach the singing and recording of it? I think, I feel like the greatest shift, obviously, you know, with like tightrope and tremble, I was like really tapping into a new side of my body, like physically when singing a song and might not make it home. I think, you know, I'm not quite going for it as like gutturally to the point where I'm like stripping my, my vocals where I couldn't speak for seven days. Yeah. But I think my, my ability to control my tone and just my general confidence has just changed when recording. And, and I think because I so earnestly mean every word of might not make it home, there's just a different amount of like control and confidence with how I sing that song. And I, I agree. I think that song more than a lot of songs in Miss Mr. or LPX, it really sounds like me talking. Yeah. Like, I think you hear that song and you're like, that literally sounds like a conversation I'm having with Lizzie. It really does. And that was a really cool, like, mark and moment for myself to, I think, like, really very perfectly translate who I am off paper to on paper. Yeah. Um, and I just love, you know, there are some sort of, like, secret notes in there, like, in the second verse we talk about, uh, you know, like, I didn't even hear your name because it's all the sound like when the punk singers shout and the punk singers are like a, a nod to like Kathleen Hanna because she has that documentary the punk singer and like the big big BV vocals in the chorus it's really just a slant on like the arcade fire like big vocals I'm always trying to like <laughs> tuck in the arcade fireness because they're probably my favorite festival headliner and so much about the way I write is like I said, even with black and white, like I'm really just dreaming of the big festival headline set. You know, I don't care how many years it takes to get there, but like every song I write is with that in mind. Yeah. Um, and this one just feels like it, like, you know, like warm summer winds with your best friends, arms around each other, having the biggest night out where like, you know at the end of the set it's going to be so complicated to figure out how to get home but like who cares you're going to be drunk and you're going to be like still like thriving off the high of the show this is that song i love hearing you say that especially in regards to like arcade fire i feel like that's 
such an appropriate way to look at it because for as big as they are now and they have been big yeah. for a while I mean it took almost 10 years to online festivals totally and acts like Phoenix and Florence and the Machine and like yeah there's so many acts that you know put the work in so totally it's all, it's all it takes, right? I have so much respect for the long game and it takes as many takes as it takes and you know I look at someone like Mitski who has been you know in the game for so long and just did the work more than people recognize more than people recognize you know put out an album toured put out an album toured put out an album toured cage the elephant portugal the man group love arcade fire you know these are artists who just kept their head down stayed sort of focused on the path and true to their art and when and if the moment happens whatever that moment is that a song crosses over for whatever reason it's amazing but it's sort of a cherry on top to a situation that's already working out for them because they've been able to create a sustainable career and you know we live in a really interesting and confusing time of what it means to be an artist and there are so many modes that someone can define success for themselves and that's so exciting you know whether you're a studio artist who never wants to be on the road and you want to write only for sync or you really want to go after that radio single or you only really want to be on the road or whatever it is. And for me, like really the thing that I care about is like touring. And it's a funny thing to say because I'd say it's really my only and greatest hurdle as an independent artist is figuring out how to tour as much as I would like to with such limited finances yeah. because it's the thing that's most expensive and it's really hard to navigate. Um, Do you feel like it's grown harder since like probably the last time we talked? I think so. It's just, you know, it's such an oversaturated market and it's just expensive. And you know, it's one of the great benefits to being on the label is having tour support. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is where artists create careers. It's on the road, it's in the room, it's in real actual human connection between you and a fan, whether that's 10 people in the room or 50 people in the room or 100 or 1,000, you know? Um, and I think every show should be treated as the most important show of your life, no matter how many people you're playing to. Yeah, um, yeah I love that. I just, I, yeah, stage is where I'm happiest. It's where I know who I am. It's where I know what my purpose is. It's where I feel most connected to other people. So I think that's why the dream of the festival headline set for me has always been the greatest mark of what success could mean to this project. It's a really great dream to have. Uh, you want to know something wild? You listed off a bunch of bands just a few minutes ago. Yeah. And it just reminded me that the first time I ever saw Young the Giant yeah. opening up for Marina and the Diamonds at Webster Hall. It's so amazing. How true. It's amazing. And like, look at the career they've had. It's like, I also think that even though there are so, or seemingly like so many more artists and musicians in the game than ever, yeah. I genuinely feel like there is a space for everyone. Yeah, there is so. a seat at the table for everyone, and I'm really enjoying how much that process in this world is opening up to sort of all voices, and especially women and alternative. You know, I, I feel like maybe the first time we talked, I was saying how what like. A big impetus for one of the reasons I wanted to do LPX was I was really missing sort of the kind of female voice and alternative that I felt like I grew up with, with, you know, like a Shirley Manson or a Gwen Stefani or Karen O or Florence. And, you know, alternative radio really pits women, I think, against each other. Yeah. And I felt like I could really count like the females on one hand who sort of lived in that space and it was like, 
Bishop Briggs and Haley from Paramore and Hannah from Group Love. And I think the world has just imploded. And, and some of that might be like my knowledge ex- expanding, but like it's amazing to see, you know, Kay Flay, who's also put in years of hard work on the road, yeah. Donna Missile, Lauren Ruthward to work with your Smith, to see Maggie Rogers explode, to see people like Mallrat, Big Thief, Stale Mill, Soccer Mommy. Like it just feels like it's just expanding exponentially. And it's so cool because I just think everyone has their own lane and it doesn't feel competitive. Yeah, it really doesn't. I love that too. It's so I feel cool. like it's important to see that. I think it's important. I think especially for women to see that there are just so many different ways to be a woman. There are so many different ways to be an artist. And every time you see, I think particularly a, a, a female artist adopt and assume their own point of view even more, it opens the gate for an audience to see a space for either their point of view to be, you know, represented for the first time or to see be reflected for the first time. I think both things like sort of serve their purpose and it's exciting. I think it's really inspiring. It's always exciting to think about like what comes next, who's being inspired by sort of the the makeup of of the world right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, jumping into track three though. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah, you're like, uh, Lizzie, stay on track. (laughs) (laughs) It just came to mind. It's like, oh yeah, we were supposed to talk about the music. Though it's always great talking about anything, (laughs) honestly. But, you know, going to track three, falling to fall. sort of like the, the prom tune yeah. someone said to me and I was like that yeah it does sort of feel like an 80s prom tune I but guess it's, like, it's kind of proggy at least with the guitar for sure yeah. dude I totally prom agree tune. I'm glad that like you pick up on that yeah. bit proggy and like a bit like new ordery to me yeah well tell me that like obviously it has the shimmer that's very much shimmered by the synth but it has like this kind of like not aggressive but a bit more of a meteor guitar tone yeah. that carries the track how important was it for you to have that contrast within this song? And I know how much you love contrast yeah. in music in general, but I feel like the contrast that you find here on this song is all over the EP as well. That's so nice that you say that. This was a really fun song to write. I wrote it with um, a producer called Jimmy Harry and, and a guy called Anthony Rosamondo, who I've been a fan of for years. I wanted to get in the room and, and write with him. Um, he's sort of of this like classic... UK rock world that I'm obsessed with. He's like really close with the horrors and Big Pink um, and plays guitar in Libertines and Mike Snow. So like he's tapped into this world that's super influential to the music that I love and grew up on and listen to. Um, especially the horrors. I love that band so much. They have an album called V if you haven't heard it. I can't recommend it enough. It's one of my favorite albums of last year. Um, and this song is so cool because it's pretty simple. It's really like that Lynn drum sound, uh, the guitar line, um, and that one sort of kooky, like uh, Ben Kahn, Jai Paul, sort of like distorted elephant, sort of in the in the chorus, yeah, yeah. which is 
actually my, my vocal just distorted, but it sounds like a synth sound. Um, and it was a nice challenge for me to write a song that's like a bit more like linear. It's not like a hugely dynamic song the way that Might Not Make It Home and Black and White are quite like really like big energy and then like a bit more quiet and really big energy and a bit more quiet. Yeah. Falling to Fall is a bit more sustainable. And that feels like a really natural reflection of just the narrative of the song, which is, you know, I was, man, it's really just reflecting on sort of like the monotony and exhaustion of going through the motion of, of dating, not really wanting to be dating, but like feeling like you have to. And then what it feels like to go out on these dates that sort of all feel the same. And oh, yeah. you feel like you sort of have to be a part of this like cyclical process, but it's so exhausting and feeling self-deprecating in the process and like, do you even deserve love? But like you want it, but do you want it? And you're just going through the motions and you're running out of options. Like <laughs> there's something hypnotic about the song. Yeah. And that just feels totally in line with what I'm singing about. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like it has, I, this is such a funny reference, but I also feel like it has like slight like REM <laughs> touches to it. Which is such like an uncool thing to say, but I think that's something that makes REM so cool. Is it? In my mind. I don't, you know, it's funny. I, I, I said it in the room to someone else and I was like, oh, I wouldn't repeat that. And I was like, I think that's like what makes it cool that like some people think it's cringy. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and I love that the bridge gets like a little bit more like psychedelic. Like it just, that song feels tactile. Or like the song version of an onomatopoeia, or you know, like, the word sounds like the it feels like yeah. that's what that song feels like to me it like is both the thing it's about and the thing that it is um i just played that song for the first time yesterday yeah. in the set and it i will also say selfishly it's a really nice moment in the set it's like a great mid-tempo song that i don't really have a lot of like everything is so like rah 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 and i'm you know <laughs> melting my face off and running like back and forth on stage the whole time it's such a nice moment to catch my breath. Um, and of all the songs, it feels the most, the modern John Hughes vibe. Yeah. And I totally agree. It has just like this beautiful shimmer and, and sparkle to it. And even though it's me sort of rolling my eyes at myself, but like sort of begrudgingly giving into this masochistic routine of, of dating, <laughs> there's something a little bit like yummy. And, and sprightly about the song that like still feels romantic yeah. and hopeful okay. and I think that is me like I'm such a romantic I'm such a romantic and I'm so nostalgic and those two adjectives touch everything on this EP yeah. um, and romantic in a literal and non-literal sense yeah. um, and it just goes back to me loving just the cinematic and the larger than life and everything feeling special. I love putting that extra like weight on things. Yeah. It's kind of funny with how dating in New York can be because like I feel like people who have never experienced it or listening mm. are probably like wondering like you know the context for it. But yeah, it's just like as someone who's experienced it as well. I mean, not I'm a man, so I don't notice like being a woman in general, Yeah, but I imagine. It's just as, not just as, it's just miserable. Dating here sucks. It's just really <laughs> hard. It's really hard because I was talking to someone about like the apps, especially. It's like everyone hates being on the apps, but everyone's on the apps because like you're genuinely looking for love. So like your intention is in the right place, yeah. but you're so like self hating for even going through the process. It's like setting yourself up to fail the whole time because like you hate the nature that you're even on it. 
And then when you meet someone, it feels like, uh, like a business interview or something. Yeah. And it's just, it's so much work to find the thing that should be effortless and yeah. the opposite of work. Completely. And you can't do one without putting in the work. So the payoff is there. And I guess that's what's so magical about love. Like, right. Like if you find the person who you connect with that just, it's easy. Yeah. Then it's worked. But all the work it, and light work it takes to get to that place is exhausting. I'm going to have a question I think you're going to hate, but I just have to, I, I just have to know. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I just have to know. Yeah. Because while you said that just now, something popped into my head. Yeah. Have you had it yet where, like, you matched with someone and you start talking to them and they're like, oh, you're like the chick from Miss Mister? It actually, surprisingly, has not happened very many times. Oh, wow. Really doesn't. I, you know, I'll usually, like, put up, like, maybe I'll put up a, a photo of me performing and stuff like that because... Yeah. Obviously, being an artist is, like, part of who I am. And it's cool. But usually people don't put, like, two and two together. Yeah. Um, only once or twice has it come up on a date where someone was like, oh, like, I know who Miss Mister are, I listen all the time, or, like, I saw you at a show or something, which is, yeah. like, a bit odd, but it hasn't ever been the thing that's, like, made a date not go well. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's never been the thing that, like, became othering or weird. And it would be something that someone would have to, like, acknowledge about me because it's, like, a <laughs> part of my life. So, yeah. well, it's been the dating is bizarre. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But even not performing, you know, music is such, like, a huge part of my life. Yeah. So, That's pretty dating cool is stuff. hard. Dating is hard. It is But hard. it's hard for everyone. Yeah, I wish I would have had that flex when I was dating. That's a cool flex. You guys. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I know, but, you know, it's like, you, <laughs> but you almost don't want to flex on a date. You know what I mean? Like, you want it to be, like, the great, like equalizer like you want to be on the same page but yeah I, we're all looking for love <laughs> we're all looking for love and we're back up to the last track yeah with the ghost once you know better it's hard to retreat can't ignore how I feel now I know what I need it's you it's you Totally. I want that last song to feel like a last song. This feels like a final song. And totally. I totally I, agree. And I think what it does is like by the end of the song, it really does feel like there's nothing left to be said. Uh, what Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So I, there's two things I want to know, but yeah. I kind of want to have them answered condensed in kind of like one general question. Okay. I like thinking of songs most of the time as conversations. Uh -huh. So who do you think it is you're singing to on this one? I can easy answer. It, it's sort of, it's sort of the last great love song to my favorite ex. You know, there's certain people that you split with and there's so much love there and that never goes anywhere. And that is what this song is uh, to me for that person where it sort of honors that we sort of been through the trenches together. And what does it look like with us moving forward as still important people to one another in each other's life? And I agree. I think this song feels like sort of like the exhale 
you know, the aftermath of a difficult conversation coming out the other side. And I I do imagine the song in my head as a conversation where, oh man, do you know, do you know, um, do you know the band Stars? Yeah, I love stars. So, what the album Your Ex Lover is Dead? Oh, yeah. One of my favorite breakup records and albums of of all time. Um, And the song Your Ex Lover is Dead is about them running into their ex on the street. And, you know, it's sort of like somebody I used to know where, like, now you're a stranger and it's weird to, like, sort of come face to face. In my mind, Give Up the Ghost is almost that moment where you run into someone who was, you know, your everything and you're just sort of like, deciding in that moment to leave everything you've been through behind you and acknowledge sort of a fresh start together sort of in spite of but also because of everything that you've been through on the other side and it feels like this just like precise moment of transition and moving into the next phase um man i I was really going through it when that song came out and i think really i mean wrestling with that specifically i was going through a really hard breakup and it's really hard to go through a breakup when you just still have so much love and respect for someone yeah um and this song just i think really honors that and then it's it's like sort of the greatest gift i can think about it and i i love thinking about it as yeah a love song for my favorite ex because that just really like sums up all the ways i feel about it and I still feel like I have my own voice and I you know, am an independent within the narrative and conversation of that song. And yeah. I think the video really beautifully complements like the energy and tone and, and narrative of that too, where it is just sort of this like internalized journey of processing those emotions and coming out the other side. Um, yeah, that's me really, I mean, that's me like really getting into it, but that song is truly, it's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. Thank you. I just, there are certain songs, and this sounds so cheesy, but I really mean it. Sometimes I've I've heard other artists describe certain songs where, like, you know, sometimes you really feel like you're the driver's seat of a song and you're really dictating what it is. And sometimes there's something like spiritual and magic where it feels like the song chooses you. Yeah. And it's like, it just like sort of flows out of you. And, And like, I'm not a super spiritual person, I'm certainly not a religious person. Yeah. Um, and that song, it was just one of those moments, like, I felt, like, overtaken by what maybe my, like, most innerness was trying to, like, communicate and spell out of me. Yeah. Um, it's so awesome when moments like that happen. And they're so few and far between. Um, yeah, it's such a special song, and I'm so glad it's the last one on the EP because it also feels like you shed a skin, you shed a layer. And I think it leaves the door open for, and what's now? Like, what's next? No, yeah. Definitely. And I can tell you right now that what's next is totally different. So, like, <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. Well, that's really sick. And, you know, I really do, I say it a lot. I love what you said. But in regards to what you just said, I do. Because, you know, just going into the matter of me being really frank about the fact I feel like there's so many people who might misinterpret or be confused by that term favorite X. And I think what's so beautiful the way you put it is that somehow being an adult is realizing that we do have these relationships that end purely because the relationship at the end, but I think it's so this is a bit of a roundabout way of saying it. I think in our youth and just around in our culture here in America we're so you and also in Britain, we're so used to the idea of thinking that you have to have animosity towards an ex and part yeah. of adulthood is realizing like, oh, most of the time you I won't. Totally. And you know, sometimes you know, 
different relationships and different breakups call for different feelings and different things, right? And I can tell you right now that <laughs> there's some breakup songs coming up on, on the next, on the 30th, and it's a very different feeling towards <laughs> that person in this situation. Hey, but, hey, fuck that dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, I think you totally nail it. I think part of being an adult is recognizing that when someone is important to you, for reason or period of time, they're important to you forever. Just because it's over, it didn't work in that capacity, doesn't mean that that relationship has to be over. Yeah. Um, and so much, yeah, about give up the ghost is, you know, it's you. It's like, you're still this important to me, but we just got to figure out a new way for us to be us. Yeah. You know? Uh, talk to me more about the video because, I mean, it's shot so beautifully. Thank you. It's very simple. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the most simple video I have ever done for <laughs> anything, LPX or Miss Mister. It looks it. Uh, what was it like to work on it? Man, it was so special. That, that video, like, I dreamed that video. I always knew, like, you know, super simple concept. I always knew that I really wanted to do something again. Sunrise to the day, and I just wanted it to be me driving from Brooklyn to upstate and to really capture just what it feels like the, the energy of the song and also the emotion of just like being in a state of transition. And you know, I, I feel like so much of the EP geographically, location like in my mind, it takes place in the city, it's such a city record. Yeah. So I love the idea of it moving into this other space being upstate, which is like the same place but such a different chemistry and, and connection um but i basically like i had this dream cinematic shot the, the the shot of me with my head out the window crossing the bridge and i'm just like i'm a diy artist what am i made of money like i'm <laughs> never gonna be able to get this like beautiful romantic comedy the dream shot that i think of for any movie that's ever shot in new york and then you remember drones exist well <laughs> so i basically like sort of put the idea for the video on hold because i was like it was just going to be too hard to make anything that didn't feel as perfect as as the song feels to me that song is just too personal and important to me to do oh, anything that doesn't do it justice yeah. and what's crazy is my friend alex colby who is a friend of a friend that i had known from a previous ex oddly enough uh, called me out of the blue. We didn't really know each other very well. And was like, I just have to tell you, I'm driving my bike through the city and I just had the, this vision for Give Up the Ghost of you, you know, top down driving in this car from the city to upstate. And I was like, oh my God. But basically, like, he's describing shot by shot exactly how I dreamed of this video. What the hell? And it felt so, like, kismet of like, oh my God, I can't believe, like, you're totally seeing this exactly as I have. Yeah. He's like, well, that's it. Like, we got to make this video together. And he's like, you know what's weird? I also, I just met these drone operators and they're like one of the best drone operators in the country and they live in New York and they've been looking to do something together. Like maybe they would take a chance on us and do it with us. I reached out to a friend of a friend when I was looking for a car and this guy, Marion, has the orange vintage Saab. It like, it was like all these pieces sort of just came together in 24 hours and then Alex and I were like, let's just shoot it while we're both excited about it and do it this weekend. Wow. So it was like a team of three of us, three or four of us, and it was awesome because we just like had the plan and then we went and executed and it was really simple and Alex who like co-directed and edited with me like was just super efficient like we shot it that morning and he was basically editing like the same day. I was going to ask about that, was it done just one day? It was, we did it one day. We shot from four in the morning till noon and the first shot that you know starts with me on the corner like the one big long zoom in, which is like, I'm kissing my lips. I'm doing like, the, like it's delicious, like Benissimo, like 
lip thing. Yeah. Uh, we only took two takes of that shot. And Alex dropped it in with the song and it matched up perfectly. Like me lighting up the light, like sort of as like the sub bass comes in. Yeah. That just exists. Like that That's wasn't amazing. planned. So there's just so many reasons why that song in that video is just like chill inducing to me. Oh. Um, I think that song, I, this is like, not to like big up myself. I think that song doesn't necessarily have the shine it deserves right now, but I just have this feeling about that song that that's going to be this diamond in the rough that like, as people get to know LPX, as I put out other bodies of work, like, I just think that song is going to keep coming back around. I just think there's something there. I just believe there's just magic around that song, yeah. I think. I mean, not to like labor on the aspect of like commercialism, because it's almost like when you bring commerce into art, it feels like it's dead. But that song would be an amazing opening or closing for like a show. I think so. I, you know, I, I, I'm with you. It always feels like so cringe-tastic to talk about like the capitalist or commercial side of when you make something that's so meaningful. But I am also a businesswoman. Like, exactly. So like in the studio, my intentions can be entirely pure. But from like when I step outside of myself and I'm my own ADR or my own label person. Like, I think that song is so beautifully set up to be synced in things. Yeah. And I felt like that was something that Miss Mr. Like, we really had an amazing lane for, for sync. And we were so lucky to be placed in film trailers and so many different TV shows. And I think that song would work so beautifully in a number of different places. And we'll see, like only time will tell, but I, yeah. I hope, I would love for it to get that kind of exposure. And I think it captures such a specific feeling I would love for it to be used I'd love for all my songs to be used especially in, in especially in film you yeah, know like naturally. I write with that sort of like vibe I love things that are cinematic it would make so much sense there yeah and also money in my pocket not a bad thing <laughs> not, a, not bad a bad thing I'm trying to be sustainable you know uh, before I have you run here uh you know obviously we can't predict the future but I'm really curious where you feel LPX is going. I mean, you mentioned the uh, be like a third EP and imagine more tour dates. Yeah. But like when you finished making this EP yeah. and you kind of looked on into the horizon of uh, the BQE and <laughs> yeah. found yourself thinking about the next few weeks, months, and years, yeah. what did you have in mind? I definitely have a few more things in mind for releases. You know, like I said, I've sort of planned up until the album. I have two other sort of projects, I mean albums, but like conceptual bodies of work that I want to do with LPX. For me, it's just touring. You know, it's like, it's really the Mitski model. It's the keep your head down, keep writing, release, tour, release, tour. Keep trying to outright myself. Keep trying to play to bigger rooms. Um, a thing on the side, I'm really, it's not on the side, it's totally still like the same world, but I was really lucky enough last year to consult and co-curate and perform this all-female festival that I worked on with Maggie Rogers and my friends All Things Go out of DC. They have a festival called Fall Classic. And Maggie and I got to book an entire basically like female lineup and play. I think Maggie play. had one of the days, right? We had who? I think Maggie had one. Maggie had one of the days, yeah. yeah. Billie Eilish played and Jesse Reyes and Raven Lynette. I mean, it was such a boss lineup. It was amazing. Awesome. And honestly, that was like a hugely eye-opening experience and, and I'm feeling I'm just feeling really lit up about bringing together these communities that are naturally existing behind the scenes and putting it front and center and figuring out creative ways to, to 
put like more women on the road and build our own festivals. If we're not getting booked for the things we want, why not just plan it ourselves? And I'm just feeling bitten by the bug. I like, I want to be doing more work on the live side that isn't just performing, but also really curating stages or festivals or like more multi-artist tours um, than maybe what we're being pitched for more conventionally. Just really interested in sort of stepping into that scene more. Yeah. Um, feels very like field field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. You know. It almost kind of sounds like you almost want to be like the Carrie Fisher or like the Drew Barrymore of music, where like after they hit their claim, they got into the producing and the writing. Yeah. And they were like such. I mean, if people if people are if you're unfamiliar with it, go to like Carrie Fisher and Drew Barrymore's IMDb pages and just see how much hands they've had in producing and writing. It is really inspirational. I would I would love that. I would love that, and I'm in such a unique position, I think, with my experience from Neon Gold and LPX and Miss Mister to understand the business side and also be the artist, and if I keep creating these platforms for everyone to win and, and also for LPX to be set up and have an outlet, like, it just feels, I don't know, like, really symbiotic. Yeah. So, I don't know, I hope that's in, in the future. I'm really enjoying that side of things. That must have been so eye-opening for you, getting to see... So, like, I've only ever loosely talked to Jesse Reyes and Billie Eilish, but I'm fans of both their music. Oh, same. Especially that... Jesse Reyes. She, yeah. Honestly, she was probably my favorite show I saw all of last year. Really? I think, she, I mean, like, she is a powerhouse. And I, what I was so blown away by about her performance was every song is different, and she commands each of them perfectly. Like, yeah. whether she's popping off on a hip-hop song or she's, like, doing, like, One Kiss, which she wrote for Dua Lipa and Calvin Harris, like, or it feels, like, super punk or it feels really hip-hop or she's doing pop or she's doing folk, just her and a guitar. Like, she can adopt every style, and she's so powerful and commanding. And I, I don't know. I, I was blown away by her performance. I think she is, like just an all-time star. I'm like so excited to see how everything blossoms for her and what she puts out next. I just like think she's incredible. Yeah, the reason I bring those two up specifically is that for me, I feel like one of the things I like about being a little bit older is yeah. that when I look at younger people, especially younger creatives, I really find a kinship in their energy of not giving a fuck. Totally. Both those two specifically, I'm a lot of younger artists yeah. I see too, but with Jesse and Billy, they have this attitude of not giving a fuck while also being really smart about it. And that's so... That's mind-blowing. Totally. It's that one-two punch, like, amazing combination where... They don't give a fuck, but they also care a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like... But they care about the right things. The things they don't give a fuck about are sort of, like, outside of opinions telling them what they can or can't do. Yeah. And that boldness, like, translates to... I have to work extra hard and care about what I want to do and what this means to my audience. And... They do it so earnestly and so beautifully, and it's so cool. They're pioneering like such a new space of pop. You know, I grew up in a time where you know, like our pop artists were, you know, Britney or Christina Aguilera, and that's fine. I love those artists. I love pop music, but like Billy and Jesse, they're like the antithesis of anything being like manufactured. You know, like they are themselves and. They're not like young little sex kittens. It's like they wear whatever the fuck they want. Like everything about them is so like unifying and atypical to the kind of pop artist I grew up with. That's so cool. Yeah. 
And I feel like, especially for you, like specifically for you, with having your history and the music that you've made and also with like Neon Gold and the way you command artists who don't fit like a typical label mold. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I feel like what's really cool is like, it kind of shows that it works. I mean, you always knew that it works, but I feel like it's powerful in which you could be like, wow, see like the artists who don't conform to what the mold of what a major label would expect. This does work. Totally. It's, and it's so interesting. It's like how many times do people need to hear that, that like their greatest asset is just being themselves and to be an individual, like that's it. It, you know, and it's, it's easy to say and it's hard to do yeah. obviously, but yeah, the more like hyper specific a vision and, and, authentic people are to themselves and what they want and who they are like the more it sets them up to succeed like the worst thing you could be would be to be like everyone else um and it's just so awesome and pop to see the ways that it is splintering of itself you know and i look at someone like man oliver tree who i'm obsessed with he's like such a bizarre, weird meme internet kid, but is making incredible music and is writing incredible music and it's really working. Or a Melanie Martinez, who's like really like a cult favorite pop artist, but like hasn't had any mainstream real crossover with radio or anything, but is essentially like as big as someone like Halsey, just in a totally different lane and self-contained. It, it's so cool. Like, it just comes back to what I'm saying earlier, like everyone has a lane in place for what they're doing. It's just about sort of like being honest about what your goals are and allowing your art to sort of match up with that intention, I guess. Yeah. Well, Lizzie, thanks so much for catching up with me. It's oh, it's great to see you. you. Thank you so much. I know we can talk literally forever <laughs> and that we'll do this again in a year. Maybe sooner. Yeah, yeah, maybe sooner. Oh, thanks. Honestly, I'm more than sure people enjoy it. You have a great voice. Thank you. So it's, 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 it's like particularly rough right now because... <laughs> I did this show yesterday with Donna Missile and Lauren Ruthward, who are like truly two of the best singers on the planet. I love Lauren. I met her last oh, summer and she is a trip. She is incredible. She is. she is like she's like a sister to Florence in terms of like her vibrato and depth of soul and oh my god. And her stage presence. She is incredible. So I honest, I was so intimidated. I was so nervous to play with them yesterday. I was playing between them. And I think I definitely overcompensated on stage vocally because I was so nervous because I'm such a fan. But so like today, like my voice is like extra, it's extra smoky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the people appreciate it. Yeah. Again, no, no problem. Thank you. <laughs>